0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of 4 Vaginas Only. In this episode, we are going to talk about how to become a physician. More specifically, how to become an OBGYN physician since that's what I'm most familiar with. But in general, how to become a doctor. I get this question all the time. A lot of different patients ask me, young girls ask me, friends of friends ask me, what did I do? How did I get here? So we're going to talk about it all in this episode. But first, Let's cue the music. Hello, and welcome to 4 Vaginas Only, the podcast about everything female. I'm your host, Dr. Celestine, bringing you important information about understanding your health and body in the way you wish your doctor would actually explain it. All right, so welcome to another episode of 4 Vaginas Only. I am your host, Dr. Celestine. And as usual, this podcast is just a very straightforward account of everything that's happened. No sugarcoating. It's about medical information, um, not to give you any medical advice. I always recommend that you talk to your own doctor for that. But today we're not really talking about anything that has to do with a medical condition. We're talking just about how to become a doctor, how to become an OBGYN. If this has been your dream, if this is something that you're even considering, then take a listen to this episode and you'll kind of see my process through it, as well as things that you have to complete, regardless of who you are, to get to where I am today. So, when did I decide to become a doctor? You know, if you ask anybody in my family, they'll probably tell you that I decided to be a doctor from the time that I was like five years old, six years old. You know, I was going around telling people I was going to be a doctor. My mom growing up, my mom is a registered nurse, so she's an RN. And she'd always kind of instilled with me as a child that, you know, being a doctor would be a great career. Being in healthcare would be a great career. So even from a young age, it was on my mind. Um, So I would say that my mom was a big influence on that, seeing kind of how she took care of people and looking at her field. And, you know, she had a lot of friends, obviously, that were nurses. So being around them growing up, I had always knew I just wanted to be in healthcare. I didn't know at all what kind, kind of doctor I wanted to be. Not at all. Um I knew I wanted to do something with my hands because I was very into fixing things and putting things back together, taking them apart. So I knew I wanted to do some type of surgical aspect. But you know, that can cross over in many different fields. So I wasn't sure in the beginning. So why I decided a lot of it, you know, obviously from her influence, but then also being in healthcare has a smidgen of job security, which these days in COVID 19 I'm not sure if any job is secure. But that was also a part of my deciding factor. Growing up, um, I'd always loved singing. So I kind of toyed with the fact of being a pop star. Uh, but, you know, not many people make it in that. And I guess I wasn't, you know, strong-willed enough, I guess, to pursue that career. So the job security that came with healthcare was something that interested me. Um, also... My personal experiences as life went on. So I remember at one point in time, I saw a male gynecologist. I was in high school, I think, and I just had a horrible experience. He really scared me and he told me things that now I realize as an obstetrician and gynecologist myself that weren't really true. And I'm not saying anything bad about male gynecologists. I just knew that I could do it better. I could be a better gynecologist, whether it's a female or male, doesn't matter. I have a lot of male GYN friends that I think are awesome. (laughs) But that was just my personal experience. I went in that office and I just thought young girls should not be scared like this. You know, There has to be a way to do it better. And that's kind of how I started off kind of thinking that OBGYN was where I was going to end up. Okay, so that was kind of my personal journey, my steps into thinking of where I wanted to be, what I wanted to be, and how I started to wrap my mind around this long, long journey. Um, But going back from the beginning, I think let's go through the steps in terms of high school, college, medical school, so that we can kind of lay the groundwork for the basics on how to become a doctor and a gynecologist. So... First off, you have to complete high school with a good GPA or good grade point average. So I, mine was 4.21 in high school, which was a weighted GPA because it took my course complexity into consideration. So I did some AP courses and things like that. Um, but It doesn't have to be exactly that GPA, but you just definitely have to get a good GPA so that you can get into a good college. Also in high school, I feel like it's where you can explore some of, if you truly like healthcare. Um, For me, a lot of that came in taking science courses. I loved biology. My favorite class, which unfortunately I didn't take until senior year of high school, was human anatomy and physiology. And I just loved that class. I've just never been in a class up to that point where I didn't feel like studying was a burden. like I loved opening the book. I love reading about human anatomy and physiology. It was just amazing. Anyway, that's just me. So getting a good GPA, taking science courses, and also, obviously, taking the SAT or ACT and getting a good score. What's considered good is basically getting in the 80th or 90th percentile for the SAT or ACT, For me, I think back in my SAT scoring days, I got somewhere around like a 1,200 or 1,300 SAT score, which was actually maybe a little bit above average, I think, at the time. And for ACT, the scoring is from 1 to 36, and the average is about like 20 to 21. So ideally, just getting a little bit above average is considered really good for getting into a good college. So that's what I would recommend. Also in high school, doing a lot of extracurricular activities, doing a lot of clubs, out-of-school activities. I did a lot of stuff with beach cleanings and outreach and kind of um, healthcare seminars and things like that in in high school. And also, jumping back to the SAT really quick, I did a review course. So the one I did was Princeton Review, and if you want to go on to there, it can be at PrincetonReview.com, and you can check them out and see if that might be something that works for you. So, once I got a good SAT score, I applied to college, I applied to colleges all over. I applied high, I applied low, I applied in between. Um, to, for to give an example, I applied to Princeton University. And you know, I also applied to University of Delaware. I applied kind of all over. And college to me was where it kind of really started, where I had to know early on, what I wanted to do, why I was there so that I could stay focused and I can achieve my goal. That's me personally. I know some people decide on things later in college, but I kind of came into college knowing that I was going to be a doctor. At this point, I was like, this is what's happening. So it was a lot of, e- a little easier for me, I think, to create coursework and things like that to make sure that I have the right courses to apply to medical school and the right grades to apply to medical school. So. I actually ended up going to college at the Pennsylvania State University or Penn State, best school in the world, side plug. But um, <laughs> the reason I chose it, I just loved the campus. I loved the community. Um, I went there for a visit when I was in high school and I just felt like I fit in. So I think what's important is that you find a place that you can take the right courses to get into medical school and that you feel comfortable and it's a good learning environment because a lot of these courses in college are harder. And you really need to focus. You really need to find that group of people that you can study with um, that have the same goals as you. And that was a huge thing for me in college. So shout out to you guys that were there. You know who I'm talking about. So college, like I said, is really kind of where it starts, where you build the framework. You can technically be any major that you want in college, but you have to complete certain courses that are required for medical school admission. So I was a biology major. Surprise, surprise. I loved biology in high school, so I continued that into college. And um, some other majors that I know of of people that have gotten into medical school are psychology, mathematics, chemistry, even some just like bachelor of arts degrees I know have gotten into medical school. They just make sure that they add on the required science courses. So what I would recommend for you is looking into medical school and what they require for admission and application. There's a certain amount of science courses, a certain types of science courses that are needed. So I would look into that early on in college so that you know what it is that you need to complete. I also did research in college. I worked in a lab uh, for, I think, was like two or three years. looking. I was actually looking at certain bacteria, But you can do any type of research that you want. And I felt like it kind of boosted my medical school application, committing to this research project for so many years during college. So it was kind of an extracurricular activity for my college going into my med school application, if that makes sense. I also did a lot of community service in college. So I was part of the Student Medical Association in college. We had a lot of meetings. We did a lot of things around campus and the thing that i loved about snma was the fact that it was it's a minority group so in that group the four vaginas only podcast will be back after a quick break welcome to fuller butts a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast yes you heard that right Join your co hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons, on an exclusive full access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty, and between debunking myths, Uncovering truths or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. It was a lot of minority students who were trying to be in the healthcare field. So it was great to connect with people that looked like me, that were on the same path as me. And I think that that really helped propel not only the community that I had in college, but also, you know, keep me focused on my goals, which was great. And I spent summers doing certain things in college that were some community outreach. So one summer I actually did, spent time at a food bank with another, um, young woman and we both created a medical fair that was put on that summer in New Jersey at the community food bank, which was awesome. It was a lot of work and, but it turned out really great. We had a lot of patrons that came and it was just a great experience. I also spent the summer in Chicago at one point with SMEP, which is now called the Summer Health Professions Education Program, so SHPEP, and what was great about that is it it fosters also underrepresented students in healthcare professions, so when I did it, it was a small group of us, and we were in Chicago for almost all of the summer. It was literally one of the best summers of my life. So shout out to um, that program as well and all of you guys that were there with me. I still have some lifelong friends from that program, and almost all of us are physicians now, which is crazy to think because we were just young, naive college students back then. <laughs> uh, in addition, for me personally, I was part of an honor society, Alpha Epsilon Delta in college. I was also Miss Black Penn State for uh, a year in college where... I went to part of the Becoming Miss Lapland State. You do some community outreach after winning the pageant. And what I did was I did some tutoring at the high school in State College, Pennsylvania. So that was pretty cool then, too. And just doing different community service with different community service organizations. All in all, you know, I did my research for years, then I did a pageant, you know, and I spent summers in Chicago. So I'm just saying you have to obviously boost or do things to boost your kind of resume in college to look good to medical schools, but have fun with it. College is a time to have have fun. I'm saying all these things that I did, but it was over a four-year time period and I had the best time in college at the same time. So don't let just the college experience go to the wayside because you're so focused on medical school. It's not necessary. You can have fun with it too. Okay, Now, even though you're having all that fun, you still have to take the MCAT (laughs) to get into medical school, which is a lot of studying. Um, I think I did either Princeton Review or Kaplan Review for this as well. Um, I ended up taking the MCAT twice because I didn't like my score the first time, but I got the same exact score the second time, so (laughs) it wasn't really uh, worth it in the end, but... Um, So the MCAT – actually, it's the MCAT that changed its scoring. I'm not sure if the SAT has changed its scoring. I'll have to look at that again. But the MCAT has definitely changed its scoring from when I took it back in uh, 2006. So it's a seven-and-a-half-hour exam. And back then, the scoring was from 3 to 45, and average was around like 25. I think I did a little bit better than average, somewhere between like 27 and 30, if I'm thinking correctly. But now, since 2015 – They've changed it where the scoring is from 472 to 528, and the average is a little bit greater than 500. So just like the SAT with the MCAT, you're really going to put yourself in the right position if you get a score that's a little bit above average and puts you in the higher percentile of students that have been taking it. So after you take the MCAT, you have to apply to medical school which is expensive. (laughs) It definitely costs something to apply to medical school. I don't know what the costs are anymore. That's definitely, that's something that you need to look up. The application is done through AMCAS, which can be found at aamc.org. And you can see the pricing there and exactly how the process works on that website. So you can apply to MD schools. You can apply to DO schools. I am an MD, so I only um, actually only applied to MD schools at the time, but with DO, I have a lot of friends who are DOs, and the difference is really only that they are taught something different where they use their hands, like pressure points and things like that, in order to help treat patients, which I think is pretty cool actually. One of my friends did it on me for my asthma, and I actually felt a little bit of a difference. So look up the difference between MD and DO and pick the one that you feel is right for you and how you would like to practice medicine. So that application happens in your junior year of college. And during that time, you also go on many different interviews at different medical schools. And, you know, they get to see how they feel about you and you get to see how you feel about them. And then you use the AMCAS application to apply. Then hooray! You get into medical school. You usually find out before you graduate from college. So at graduation, there's a lot to celebrate. Um, I remember I found out around that time and it was just like, it was just really exciting because all of my years of hard work, all of my years of focus were kind of, were finally coming to fruition. Something that I just, you know, sometimes you see things that you know are gonna happen, and you have other things that you're not so sure are gonna happen. And when it happened, it was a big deal. So you get into medical school, more work. (laughs) For me, medical school was a little hard because it was the first time where school was actually hard for me. And I don't mean that in a bragging sense. It was very hard, very difficult for me to actually adjust to the pace of medical school. You learn things very quickly and you have to take a lot of exams, Um, not even just the big major exams, but you're taking exams after you finish each part of a course And it's a lot of information squeezed into one little exam. And it just, it was just hard for me at first to get up with the pace of medical school, but I caught on eventually. So an overview of medical school. The first two years are classroom work. So it's a lot of, you know, just doing, sitting down in the classroom, learning about different things, learning about the different specialties and just the basic and how the body functions. And it's not really the point where you have to decide yet what it is that you want to do. The second two years of medical school, because medical school is four years long, the second two years are clinical. So that's where you spend time rotating through all the different specialties of medicine. And you kind of are starting to get a feel now for what specialty you have a connection to. Those are my two favorite years. <laughs> so, um, and then really though... That's more so for at least for my school. I went to West Virginia University of, um, Western University School of Medicine. And in my school, the third year we rotated through every specialty and the fourth year you kind of focus in. So you can go back and rotate with your specialty of choice again, or you can try out two different specialties if you, um, feel like you're undecided. You can even do some elective work where you go to different schools and you try out or you go to different offices and you spend time there training and working alongside different physicians just to get a better feel of what it is that you want to do. So going back to just exams. So during year one and two, you have an exam, like I said, after each after each course. And then in years Three especially, that's how they did it at WVU, we had exams after each rotation. So we would have what we called shelf exams for obstetrics and gynecology when you're done with that rotation. Then you would have a shelf exam for family medicine, a shelf exam for internal medicine. Those can be pretty difficult. I did really well on the OB one, I think because I had kind of a, my heart was connected to the specialty once I actually rotated through it. I met some really good people there, some of who I still talk to today. And I just kind of felt like I bonded with the patients and especially the young women. And I just did really well on that shelf exam. I think I got like the 99th percentile. It was crazy. So it goes to show you, even if you go back to my high school days, when I really connect with something, it's actually easier for me to do better in it. But if I'm not connecting, it's so hard. (laughs) So anyway, then you have to also pass the USMLE tests. There is step one, step two, and step three that you have to complete in all. Step one and step two, you actually complete during medical school. So step one is done at the end of year two in medical school, and that is more of a basic science exam. To me, that was the hardest one. Um, It really is basic science, like Krebs cycle, all of those things that I don't remember any longer, they were on the step one exam. In um, step two, rather, you take it the fourth year of medical school, and it's more of a clinical exam, which I found way easier. It was actually about patient care, it's actually about diagnosing different conditions and treatments for different conditions, and that one was much easier for me personally. Then you apply to residency. So (laughs) when you're applying to residency, you have to create a rank list. This is also done on a website. And the rank list you create after you've, you know, kind of sent in your applications, the programs reach out to you that are interested. You interview with them. And then based on who you've actually had interviews with, you create an ordered list, one through whatever. In terms of where you would like to go. Number one is where you really want to go. Two is your second best. Three is your third best. So on and so forth. That process is a little, you kind of this, you make your rank list. The schools make their rank list depending on who they saw that they liked. And then the program matches you and it's your match list versus their match or their rank list versus your rank list. And then the computer system connects the two of you. Some people don't match. So that's something that can happen. And prior to graduating medical school, you have match day. The day before match day, you found out if you matched or not. And then on match day, which is the following day, you find out where you matched. And that usually happens in March of your last year of school. Um, That's an exciting day for all that did match, obviously a sad day for all that didn't. If you didn't match, there's something called a scramble. If you didn't match, you can try to get into open positions that are in different residency programs that also didn't match a person. Then you get to residency. Um, Once you start residency, it's exciting because you're actually doing patient care. Um, You're in charge sometimes of running a service, so for obstetrics and gynecology, Obviously, as a first year, you're not running the service. You're on a team. You do rotations between obstetrics, gynecology, and all the different other subspecialties during your residency time there, such as reproductive endocrinology and infertility, such as urogynecology such as maternal fetal medicine, all of that you get exposure to during residency. And it's the first time you're actually getting paid for working. All this time, all your friends have been working, (laughs) and you've just been in school, 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 and now you're finally getting paid too. So that's exciting as well. And how many years of residency you do depends on your specialty. For OBGYN, it's a four-year program. For anesthesia, it's also a four-year program. Um, But a lot of times you have to do a year, part of that four years is doing a year in like general medicine or the ICU for anesthesia. General surgery is a five-year program. Internal medicine and pediatrics are three-year programs. So it depends on what your specialty is and how long you will be in residency for. Then after you complete your residency, you take a specialty board exam. So the tests aren't over, folks. (laughs) So um, if you have a surgical component to your specialty, such as obstetrics and gynecology, such as general surgery, um, such as anesthesia, then you normally have to do sort of two board exams. Um, one board exam is just a written test where you just sit down like your regular form of taking a test multiple choice and the other one is an oral board where you have to sit down in front of a group of people they ask you questions and you answer back um i just took the board exam in december of 2018 for OBGYN, right now you have to take it within five years of graduating residency but i did it after like two years out so i just kind of wanted to get it over with and um Sometimes in residency, people take step three of the USMLE. Remember I said in for step one and step two, you take in medical school. I actually took step three prior to going into residency, and that one wasn't as hard. I think step one is the hardest exam that I've ever taken. So overall, after you finish step three, then you do your residency, then you do your specialty board exam, plus or minus a um, oral exam. And then you're free. Then you're done. <laughs> Unless, of course, you go into a fellowship and then you have a few more kind of, um, you know, clinical rotations that you have to do for a few years, depending on which fellowship you chose and then other tests for that fellowship. But I don't know much about that because I didn't do a fellowship. So on this podcast episode of talking just about how to become a doctor and then how to specifically become an OBGYN, I hope you learned a little bit. I hope you, kind of see how I went through it and realized that I'm not definitely not perfect. And if I can do it, you guys can do it too. Trust me. I only got, I didn't get super amazing test scores at any point really, aside from my Obi shelf exam. Um, and I got here through a lot of perseverance. There was, I'm not saying it's easy. You know, I go through it step by step here, but it was, it was hard. There were tears shed. There were multiple times where I was like, I quit Um, but I stuck it out. I have really good friends, um, really good family support, which I think is really important to make it through because it's tough and having that support to hold you up in the times where you feel down are important. So that is how you become a doctor. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me on four vaginas at four vaginas only on Instagram. Um, and I will talk to you a little bit more about it there and I'll catch you guys soon in the next episode. Bye.